Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. What a joy it is uh, to have a family of faith to worship together and to serve God together and to do life together. Would you agree with that? Amen. Amen. I would encourage you today, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reviewing uh, one of the greatest conversion stories in all of history, if not the greatest conversion story of all of history, and uh, it is the conversion of Apostle Paul from Saul to Paul, from Saul to Paul, and it's found in the book of Acts. Remember, uh, the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and it's uh, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. When everybody's there, say amen. As you're turning there, I want to let you know that tonight at 4.30 at our Carson campus, uh, we're going to have a special uh, discussion and panel on overcoming grief and trauma. Overcoming grief and trauma. And we're blessed as a church to have a handful of uh, Christian therapists, professional Christian therapists who help people uh, through their profession to overcome trauma and grief. And so tonight, our prayer is that in this discussion, we're going to be talking with some of them Christian therapists, and we want to help people uh, get tools to help your healing, to help your healing. As our mission as Chapel of Change is to give fresh hope. Someone say fresh hope. And having that mission uh, attracts people that have been hurt and broken and some have been experienced a, a, a major pain in life. And so we want to help give you tools that help you heal. Someone say heal. And part of that is tonight at 4.30. So if you're available, you want to come out or you know anybody who's suffered a trauma or grief, bring them out uh, at 4.30 at our Carson campus. Now, let's turn to the Word of God in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture and I'm going to give you some of my notes that I wrote down. And then after I read this passage, we'll go over the main lessons for today. Let's turn to verse 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So notice, Saul, who eventually is called Paul, is enraged against the church. The Bible says he's breathing in murder against those who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice that because he's enraged against the church. And look at verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus... 
And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was Jesus, right? That was Jesus. And I want you to notice Jesus does not say, why are you persecuting my followers? I want you to notice Jesus does not say, why are you persecuting the Christians? He doesn't say that. Instead, in verse 4, he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's fascinating because Jesus is no longer at this time physically in the world. This is years after his crucifixion and resurrection and years after he ascended to the Father, yet he identifies so much with our pain and our persecution that he tells Paul, why are you hurting me? That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. When they hurt you, they hurt Jesus. When they talk bad about you, they're talking bad about Jesus. When they whisper behind your back, they're whispering behind the back of Jesus because Jesus so much identifies with our pain and our hurt that he tells Paul, why are you persecuting me? That ought to get us to love Jesus more. That ought to get us to follow Jesus more. That ought to get us to worship the Lord. Someone shout amen. Look at verse 5 as I give you some commentary. It says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now that word goads is an old English term. We don't use it in our language today, but in effect, goads were spears that farmers would use to keep the oxen moving forward and in a straight line. How many know it's tough to lead an ox? That wasn't a trick question. <laughs> it's tough to lead an ox. And so when Jesus tells Paul it's hard to kick against the goads, what he's saying is, is how long are you going to inflict yourself with pain by rustling against my plan for your life? That's what he was saying to Paul. You're inflicting yourself with pain every time you push back against my plan for your life. That's what he's telling Paul. How many of you know you cannot wrestle with God and win? How many of you know that the more you wrestle with God, the more you inflict pain upon yourself? How, how, how many of you know when you push back against the will of God for your life, the only one you hurt is yourself? You ain't hurting God. You're hurting yourself. And so, so Jesus tells Paul, stop inflicting pain upon yourself by pushing against my plan for your life. Look at verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? By the way, that's the most dangerous question you could ask God. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. 
And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. What a radical redirection. What a radical change of plans and change of direction. Paul never imagined that he would enter into Damascus being led blindly uh, by someone else holding his hand. Paul thought he was going to go into Damascus with his plan and in his strength and in his purpose, but the Lord God Almighty redirected his life. Has God ever redirected someone's life before? Look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple. Someone say disciple. Notice it does not say believer and it does not say Christian. It says there was a certain disciple. Disciple means a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Like this brother was a green beret. This brother was serious. Who, who, uh, this brother Ananias, I want to meet him one day because he, he was serious about following the Lord. It, it says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is complaining. Hello, somebody, is this work? Is this my con? Is this my con? Y'all got to check out what I read. Make sure what I'm reading lives up to the word of God. You listen to what it says. It says, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for he is griping. Now, imagine with me, okay? Paul just went through some trauma. He is blind. He is so traumatized that he cannot eat for three days. Have you ever went with food without food for three days? That's how much traumatized he is. And we, 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 we look behind the veil. We look behind the door. And what is he doing? He's not complaining. He's not griping. He's not pointing the finger. He's praying. That's, a, that's an example for us right there. He's praying. In the midst of his pain, he's praying. In the midst of his trauma, he's praying. In the midst of his confusion, He's praying. There's something to be said about that type of Christian who takes their pain to prayer. There's something to be said about that type of disciple who does not turn to complaining and griping in the midst of their frustration, but turns to prayer. That's Green Beret stuff. That's Special Forces type stuff. That's elite. And I want you to notice that Paul does not know, but while he's praying, God is working something out in the background. I want to point something out, that while Paul is praying, he does not even know what's going on, but Paul, God is orchestrating Ananias to recover Paul's sight. God is working, mm, he's working on Paul's sight. While he's praying, 
and Paul don't even know what's going on. He's worshiping while God is working. He's praising while God is working. He's, he, he's, he's lifting up the name of God, and God is working. God works while you worship. God works while you praise. That's why the enemy don't want you to praise. He doesn't want you to worship. He wants you to complain because there's no power in complaining. There's no power in griping. But if you can just learn to worship in the midst of your worry and learn to worship in the midst of your, your worry and learn to praise in the midst of your pain, you'll know... Uh, that God is working behind the scenes. Paul does not know what's going on, but he knew how to pray. And as long as you know how to pray, as long as you protect your prayer, you're going to get something back. You're going to get back as long as you know how to pray. Look at verse 12. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Notice what he says, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Pause, because this gives us insight into the strategy of Satan against us. This gives us insight. Listen, the devil was working through Saul to go to Damascus to stop people from using the name of Jesus. That word bind, when it says uh, he, he goes to bind all who call on the name of Jesus, it means to put in chains, it means to tie up, it means to prohibit. It means to prohibit. In other words, Satan does not want you to use the name of Jesus. He expressly tries to stop you from using the name of Jesus. He is intimidated by believers who will use the name of Jesus because he knows as long as you got that name, you got your restoration. As long as you got that name, you got your healing. As as long as you hold on to that name he doesn't want he doesn't want you to use his name satan is intimidated by when we learn to use our authority in the name of jesus because we have the name that is above every name and at the name of jesus every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow so the enemy tries to throw a spirit of intimidation into our life so that you're in the midst of your pain, you don't use that name. You're in the midst of your pain, don't use that name. That's what the enemy tries to do. But if you could just whisper that name, Jesus, something about that name, Jesus. Someone here say, Jesus. Yes. Someone shout, Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Notice in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, someone say go. go, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. Stop. I want you to see something. 
with every person, with every situation, there is always God's or there's always the world's perspective of the individual. I heard Jesus about this guy. I heard they say about him this. I heard about her. There's always the world's perspective of the individual. But then there's always God's, heaven's perspective of the individual. He is a chosen vessel. She is a chosen instrument. Did you catch that? Listen, listen. There, it, with every person, there is the world's view of that person. Man, I remember Ananias said, I heard about this guy. I heard everything he did. I, I, I heard she's scandalous. I heard he's messed up. I heard that they did this and they did that. But then there's always heaven's perspective. That says, he's a chosen vessel for me. She's anointed for me. He's appointed and anointed to be used by me. Always the world's perspective and then heaven's perspective. Listen, Chapel Chase, hear me today, hear me today. Everybody who comes through that door is a gift to chapel of change and it doesn't matter what stage of life what situation they may look like they may appear to be we must always view people through heaven's perspective they may be broken they may be scandalous they may be tore up from the floor up but we always got to look at them and say he is a chosen vessel of God she's an anointed vessel of God they are a Anointed and anointed for this generation, even if they don't see it. Even if they don't see it. So, so our men's ministry is Kingsmen. Some say Kingsmen. And we're having our Kingsmen gathering pretty soon. Um, but our men's ministry is Kingsmen. And one of the sayings that we have is that every man who comes to Chapel of Change is a Kingsman, whether they realize it or not. That's heaven's perspective. Where would you be if we treated you according to the world's perspective? My, where would we be? Like, we, we, how, man, I'll be looking out the windows and say, oh, here she comes. Come on, put away your wallet. Right, here he comes. You better, uh, yeah. where would we be if not for heaven's perspective upon our life? So verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Stop right there. Listen. Serving the Lord is going to cost you at different periods of your life. Serving the Lord will cost you at different periods in your life. Now, ultimately, we win. Ultimately, we gain. But if we're going to serve the Lord in this world, we're going up the stream. We're going up the, the river. We're going up against the grain of the world. And from time to time, hear me today, yes, God will bless you. Yes, God will open up doors for you. But listen, you heard it from me. From time to time, you will weep. From time to time, you will be frustrated. From time to time, you will even cry because serving the Lord is not a 
about a bunch of roses and, and creamy pies that you eat all day. There are some things you must suffer for the Lord. There, there are some things you must suffer for the Lord. And I don't know why we're shocked because some of us have suffered big time for our own decisions. Some of us have caused so much own infliction upon our life and we happily bear to pup them, them affliction that we put on our own lives. Now that you're serving the Lord, you got to be man enough to suffer for Jesus. Woman enough to suffer for Jesus. From time to time, there will be something. But thanks be to God, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he gives us the power to press through the pain. Someone shout Jesus. Jesus. I'm almost done with this reading. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. Oh, by the way, I love this brother Ananias. He is... There's a reason why God called him out of all the disciples in Damascus. There's a reason why he called Ananias. He entered the house. Now don't, don't rush that because remember, Saul, according to the world, is a murderer. He is enraged. Ananias doesn't know what's behind the door. Ananias don't know what he's going to face. That's why I love this brother Ananias. That brother was down for the kingdom of God. He entered the house. Some of us won't even enter the car. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of us, it's hard just to get us to church. He entered the house. He didn't know what was on the other side of that house. He didn't know if the Roman government was going to come and whoop him and tie him and, die and kill him. Didn't know what was going to go on. All he had was a vision. Listen to this. I love this brother. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. It doesn't even say he had anybody with him, right? That's how I love this, brother. It looks like he's by himself. Just him and the Lord. Just him and the Lord. He's going. They're killing Christians, but it's just him and the Lord. And some of us, we need everybody with us. Come on, brother. You got to come with me. I need a carload. I'm going right here. I remember, I remember uh, uh, they, they took me to Harbor City one time, and we were, we were uh, doing a, a, uh, one of the families of our church. Uh, the son passed away, and we were doing a news conference, right, and, and, in Harbor City, right, by kind of like by the old projects, right? And one of the, the mothers that are in our church that is also a mother of over there, and she grabbed me. She said, come on, Brian, come with me. And I said, where are we going? And I said, we're going to go. She goes, we're going to go to the alley, right? And I go, I'm in a suit, right? And I go, I'm like, man, all right? I go, and I turn around, and I look, and there's a bunch of gang members on the alley, and they're drinking beer, and they're like, oh, you know, they're, I don't know what they're doing. But anyways, I look back. I said, man, I need my church with me. I can't go alone right here. And thanks be to God, I look back, and half the church was walking through the alley. Praise God. I'm not like this Ananias. I need Chapel of Change. Look at verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him. He touched Saul. He touched Saul. That's, that's serious. But he touched him. You don't even know that Saul could have killed one of his aunts. Saul could have killed one of his cousins. He touched Saul. Laying hands on him, he, 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 he said, get this, I love this. Listen, he said, well, let me tell you what he does not say. He does not say, Saul, 
doesn't that say Saul? Know what he says? Brother Saul. Brother Saul. This is what I love about Ananias. After he got over his doubt, after he got over his fear, his pushback of God, because we all push back on God, right? Let's not just judge that, brother. We all push back on God, right? But after he got over that fear and that doubt, that brother went all in. And he calls Saul, who was a murderer against the church, he says, Brother Saul, what radical love, what radical mercy, what radical compassion that he receives this terrorist into the house of God. He receives him into the family of God. And he says, Brother Saul, that's radical mercy, radical compassion. You don't even know, Saul probably killed one of his cousins. No, I imagine that Saul was touched. I could imagine like, wow, this dude is calling me his brother. There's got to be something to this. There's got to be something to this Christianity because he's calling me brother. He's welcoming me into the family of God. I can imagine it, it touched Saul's heart. He says, brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I don't, don't lose track of that. He said, man, you need to get you filled with the Holy Spirit because right now you're filled with yourself. Right now you're filled with your own plans. You're filled with your own purpose. And you got energy that's good. You got passion that's good. But I got to redirect it. Got to get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. Got to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but I got to, I got because so Paul, he was an educated brother. That brother was educated. Like he had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He was educated. And he, I can imagine, but I'm educated. That's fine. That's good. You're educated. But you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. I, I'm strong. I'm a man's man. That's cool. You strong and you working out. You're doing sit-ups and praise the Lord for that. But you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost so that you might receive the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time experience. We need to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit because the world has a way of stabbing us. The world has a way of hurting us. And the world has a way of draining us. You know some of y'all got them co-workers that drain you or got them relatives that drain you. Hopefully you ain't got that spouse that drains you. And so we got to constantly be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's why we got to be at the altar of God. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Not filled with wine but the Holy Ghost. Not filled with drugs, but the Holy Ghost. Not filled with ourselves, but the Holy Ghost. Gotta be filled. He said, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received the sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now as I see this powerful conversion, this conversion opened up the doors for the world to be impacted with the gospel. We are here today because of what took place in that chapter right there. We are here today. This church is here. You're here. You're a believer today because of what took place in this one man's life. Because he surrendered to the Lord, the whole gospel got out to the whole known world.
And I see a couple things that I want to remind us about uh, this afternoon in his conversion. That I see a couple things that Jesus did. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to lay a couple of these at your feet. I might develop one or two of them more. But I want to point out that the first thing that Jesus does is he humbles Paul. He humbles Paul. I want you to notice that the first thing that Jesus does, he does not counsel Paul. He does not hug Paul. He does not pat Paul on the back and say, it's going to be okay. No, this was a certain type of individual that he needed to be confronted by the power and the glory of God. And the Bible says in verse 4 that he fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. First thing Jesus does, body slams him. First thing. First thing. See, Paul thought he had it going on. Paul thought he could do his own thing. He can go his own way. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm not having none of that ox. I'm not having none of that. Uh-uh. But aren't you going to hug me? No. Aren't you going to tell me something good? No. You need to be broken. Your energy is good, but it's going the wrong way. Your passion is good, but it's going the wrong way. You need to be broken. And he, he body slams him to the ground and he humbles him. And if that's not enough, he changes his name from Saul to Paul. You know what Paul means? Paul means little. Paul means least. Paul can even mean humble. He changes his name from Saul to little, to least. Hey, little, come here. That did some damage in his personality right there. I'm not little, I'm large. No, you're little. Changes his name. And sometimes, sometimes, if we can admit, God needs to get our attention by humbling us. If we could talk like family, sometimes, and there's a, there's a small fraction of us, maybe even a bigger fraction of us, that we're like Paul. We're A-type personality. We're not going to be told what to do. We wanted to do it our way and our thing. And then, boom, Jesus turns around and body slams us. In fact, I would take you even deeper. That everything that God wants to do in your life comes through humility. Everything God does in your life or wants to do in your life comes through humility. James said that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Someone say grace. Grace is one of them powerful theological words that um, has so much meaning and depth to it. There's so much in grace. There's power in grace. There's favor in grace. There's opportunities in grace. There's a bunch of stuff in grace. But notice, the grace comes through humility. You want more grace? You've got to give more humility. Everything God wants to do in your life comes through humility. To love, we must be humble. To love, we must be humble. To be patient, we must be humble. Especially with some people, amen? 
To sustain any type of level of success, we must be humble. Uh, 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 humility gets us into the kingdom of God because we have to submit and, uh, to the reign of Jesus. And once we get into the kingdom of God, the Lord wants to take us from faith to faith and glory to glory. But the way we get there is in every point, we have to humble ourselves even more. Humble ourselves even more. Humble ourselves even more. In the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. It's the first thing that God taught Paul. You're not in charge. He is. The second thing I see Jesus does is Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Paul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. So he gives him a revelation of who he is and Paul, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And no doubt Paul had heard about Jesus before this moment. No doubt Paul had heard of the rise of the Lord before this moment because Paul was there when Stephen got murdered. And when Stephen got murdered, he called upon the name of the Lord. So Paul heard about Jesus prior to this, but Jesus didn't want Paul just to hear about him. Jesus wanted Paul to experience him for himself. Are you following along? Jesus wanted Paul to experience his power, experience his presence, experience his glory. Jesus did not want Paul to stay with a second-hand experience of Jesus. We can't afford to have second-hand experiences of God. If all you know about God is what somebody else told you about God, that's a secondhand experience. If all you know about God answering prayer is, is what somebody told you, how God answered their prayer, that's a secondhand experience. If all you know about the glory of God is what somebody else has experienced about the glory of God, that's a secondhand experience. By and large, in the churches today, people need to be converted from, from, from second-hand Christians to first-hand Christians. That's where the conversion needs to be, from second-hand to first-hand. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I, I thank God for the second-hand experience because when you're a little kid, you need that second-hand experience. You need somebody to tell you about God. You need somebody to tell you about Jesus. I thank God that my dad taught me about Jesus when I was little, told me about Jesus. But I also praise God that today I can tell my dad about Jesus. I can tell my dad about the power of God. Why? Because I was converted from second-hand experience to first-hand experience. I was converted. I was converted. The lady at the well whom Jesus encountered and turned her life upside down, the woman at the well, she went back to her city and she began to tell everybody about Jesus. And it sparked their curiosity. And so they, because of what she said, they went out to Jesus and they had their own encounter with Jesus that touched their hearts. And when they walked away from Jesus that day, they told something to that lady at the well that was very powerful. In John uh, uh, chapter 4 verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They got converted. They got converted. 
They got converted from secondhand experience to firsthand experience. I started off by what, what you said. Praise God for what you said. We need no more people to share what they've experienced. But at some point in time, you got to convert. Some point in time, you need to convert to firsthand experience. You know, you think of Job and Job, that brother went through hell and high water. And did you know that one of the reasons why he endured his pain and his suffering, he says it in Job chapter 19, verse 25. He says, I know that my redeemer lives. He said, I know that's, that's first-hand experience. Praise God for your testimony. Praise God for what he done in your life. But I know that I know that I know that Jesus is real. Because he walks with me and talks with me. I know. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. So Jesus revealed himself to Paul. But then I see, I see that Jesus tests Paul. He tests Paul. Now, follow along in this train of thought, because I'm going to point something out that you probably didn't see. Uh, Paul asks Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do? By the way, that's the most dangerous question you could ask God. And Jesus answers in the same verse. He says, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So listen to this. Paul immediately asked Jesus, what must I do? What do you want me to do? And I want you to notice, Jesus does not immediately answer his question. Instead, Jesus gives him a test. I want you to see this because I, I'm spotting out a wrestling match between Paul and Jesus, and Jesus gives him a test. He says, arise and go into the city, and then you will be told what you must do. Do you see the difference? Paul, I'm going I'm to say it again. I want you to see this. Paul says, what must I do? Jesus does not immediately answer Paul. I suspect it's because he's letting Paul know you're not in control. You don't ask the questions. I ask the questions. And he does not give him an immediate answer. Instead, he gives him a test. Oh, you're serious about serving the Lord? You're serious? You want to serve me? Okay, let me throw out a test. Go into the city first, and then when you get there, I will reveal to you everything else. Hallelujah. 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 See, you need to be faithful with what you got before you get what you want. You need to be faithful with what you got before you get what you want. You need to be faithful with where you're at before you get to where you want to be. Did you catch that? I know you got grand plans for what you want God to do, and I really believe God wants to do that, but you can't handle it all at once. 
Where you're at in your life right now, mentally, uh, spiritually, maybe even physically, cannot handle the totality of God's plan for your life. And so instead of giving it to you all at once, he gives you tests to get ready to handle what he has in store for you. So he has to stretch you. He has to mold you. He has to put weight on you. He has to purge you. Hello, somebody. Man, that hurts. He got to purge you. There's, there's some things in your life right now that cannot handle the blessing of God. So he got to purge you. He got to get some things out of your thinking. He got to get some things out of your soul before he delivers to you the whole pie. Does this make sense to anybody? See, uh, what hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. So he tests you. He goes, I know you want to hit a home run. I know you want to hit a grand slam, but you got to get to first base first. And once you get to first, you, you got to go to Bible study first. You got you to keep coming back on Sunday first, right? You got you, 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 you to go to first base. And once you get to first base, then I'll open up the other bases to you. That's what he told Saul. That's what he, what he told Saul. You know, um, there have been a couple people uh, nationally that have said that Chapel of Change is one of the fastest growing churches uh, in the nation, and we give God praise for that. And I know it looks like it just happened overnight, but really it didn't. But really it didn't, right? Because God was testing me for 16 years in the furnace of affliction. He was putting weight on me. He was stretching me. He was purging me. Hello, somebody? I like how that sounds, purging me. But it don't feel good. It don't feel good. See, because what hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And so many people don't want to go to first base because they don't see second and third and, and, and all the way home. They don't see it. God doesn't want you to see it at first. He wants you to go to first base. Does this make sense to anybody? Here's the last thing, and I'll wind it up today. This is more of an encouragement. This is more of a challenge. The last thing I want you to see is don't agree with what you heard from the world. Don't agree with what you heard from the world. Now, where did you say, where did you get that from? Well, let me point out that God gives Ananias an assignment, and in verse 13, listen to how Ananias pushes back on God. Listen to the source of his pushback. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man. I want you to notice his pushback, the source of his pushback. He, Ananias says, Lord, I heard from many about this man. Listen, Ananias starts to tell God what he heard about Paul. Did you catch that? Lord, Lord, I, I hear what you're saying, but I heard this about him. I, I heard what you're saying, but I, I heard this. I, I heard that, and I, I, I heard this. Listen, here it is, here it is. Notice he's having trouble receiving from God because of what he heard from the world. Notice what he heard from the world is blocking the progress of what he heard from heaven. Did you catch that? Listen, 
What he heard from the world is blocking the manifestation of what he heard from heaven. What he heard from the world is blocking what he heard from heaven. And he's not the only one that does this. We all do this from time to time. It's just we say it in different ways. We, we express it in different ways. This is how we say it. This is how we say it. We say, Lord, I, I know you say you'll provide for me, but I heard my job is laying off. That's the LBC translation right there. That's how we say it. We say, Lord, I, I know you say you can heal me, but I heard the doctor say. Lord, I, I know you say you could answer my prayers, but I heard that this type of problem is this big. That's how we say it. So the encouragement today is don't tell God what you heard. And to receive what God has for you, you've got to get over what you heard. To receive what God has for you, you got to get over what you heard. If God says he wants to bless you, don't tell him what you heard. If God says he's going to restore something about your life, don't tell him about the statistics over that situation. If God said he's going to bless your daughter, don't tell him what you heard about your daughter. It all comes down to whose report you're going to believe. It all comes down to whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to read God's report? Or are you going to believe the world's report? And my Bible says in Romans 3, 4, that let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. So let me, let me share with you what you should do then. I want to equip you with what you should do. Don't, don't tell God what you heard. Tell God what you read. Tell God what you read. Don't, 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 don't tell God what you heard. Tell God what you read. Lord, I read I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, I read. That all things are possible for you. Lord, Lord, I read that greater is he that is in me than he uh, that is in the world. Lord, I read that you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth me. Lord, I read. That's why we want to keep your face in the book. Not in Facebook, but in the book. That's why every time you come to church, we keep your face in the book. Why do we keep your face in the book? Why do we do that? It's to turn down the voice of the world and turn up the voice of God in your life. Some of you got the world like the world is chirping. The moment you leave this place, the world is chirping in your ear and trying to get you to doubt and trying to get you to fear and trying to get you not to even come back. And that's why we keep your face in the book to turn down the voice of the world and to turn up the voice of God. Don't tell them what you heard. Tell them what you read. Don't tell them what you heard. Tell them what you read. As we think about the conversion of Apostle Paul, God didn't just change the course of Paul's life with his conversion. God changed the course of human history with his conversion. Paul's testimony impacted billions of souls. Later on in his life, he testified, and I close with this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says this later on. He's an old man now. 
and he's presumably in prison right now. He started off as this educated Jewish leader with lots of people following him. He's in a cell. He's an old man now. And he writes Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to what he says. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. May we share in that same spirit today. May we forsake the world to live for Jesus and allow God to use your story for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a couple moments. I want us to bow our heads and reflect upon the word of the Lord. What was God trying to get across to you this afternoon? With every head bowed, every eye closed, this, everybody remain seated. This is an important part of our time together where we pause and we reflect upon the word of the Lord. every head bowed and every eye closed before I change transition the order of the service I do not want to assume that everybody is saved maybe there's someone in here who needs to get right with God maybe there's someone here who has never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ Maybe there's someone in here who has not repented from your sins and you want to make a decision today to live for the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to think about, is that you? Are you saved? Do you know if you pass today, you'll go to heaven? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? If not, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to respond to the grace of God. Think about it, if that's you. Think about it, if you need salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. When you hear the voice of the Lord, do not turn away. To give you a couple moments just to reflect if that's you if you need Jesus
every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to give somebody an opportunity to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give somebody an opportunity to repent from their sins and submit their life to God. If there's anybody here who is not saved, have not surrendered to the Lord, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging upon your heart, and you want to surrender today, I want to pray with you right where you're at. And if that is you, I'm going to ask that you respond to the grace of God by just standing up on your feet, and I'll pray with you. Anybody here that needs to surrender to Jesus, stand on your feet, and I'll pray with you. We'll wait a couple moments. If you need to surrender to Jesus, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Let me pray for everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that everybody saved today. We thank you, Lord, that they live for you. We thank you, Lord, that they're faithful to you. And I pray for all of us, draw us closer to you, Father. Draw us closer to you and fill us freshly with the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Praise. God is good all the time. Did you learn something this afternoon? Anybody learn something? Praise God. We are going to transition to respond to God through uh, our tithes and our offerings today. We're going to worship the Lord through our giving. I want to call the ushers up forward as we prepare to give our best gift unto the Lord. The Bible teaches us to be a cheerful giver. Someone say cheerful giver. Someone say it again. Cheerful giver. The only way we're going to be cheerful givers is if we give out of gratitude and thankfulness and gratefulness unto the Lord. So every time we give, let us think about how good God has been to us. Let us think about how God has saved us and delivered us. And out of that gratitude, may we give unto the Lord. So I want to encourage you to give your best gift unto the Lord. If you're part of Chapel of Change, now is our time to give our tithes and our offerings. Uh, there's a couple ways that you can give. Uh, you can give through an offering envelope that is in the back of your uh, seats. You can give through the bucket. After service, if you want to give through a debit card in the lobby, uh, there is someone there that could help you give through a debit card. If you want to give online, chapelofchange.org. If you're watching online and the Lord has done anything in your life and you want to show your gratitude unto the Lord by giving unto His kingdom, no better investment than investing in the kingdom of God. Uh, you can go to our webpage, chapelofchange.org. Hit the giving button. Uh, it's easy. There's also a way you could... Give to your phone by texting CHAPEL to a number. It's on the screen, but it's also on our web page. You text CHAPEL and you can give through your phone. couple special announcements to make. This Wednesday night at our Carson campus at 715, I'm going to be doing a special interview with a uh, sister um, Susan Mellon. And Sister Susan Mellon has a powerful testimony. Uh, she was, many years ago, arrested, uh, wrongfully arrested, and sentenced to life without the possibility of 
parole. And um, it wasn't until 17 years later that she was miraculously released from prison and exonerated. Now, we're going to hear her story and we're going to learn. My prayer is we're going to learn how to trust in the Lord when the world does us wrong. We're going to learn how to persevere when people do us wrong. We need to learn how to navigate through that hard space in life. And we're going to learn her story and be encouraged by that. That's this Wednesday, 715 at our Carson campus. Also, don't forget... Our midweek worship is every Thursday at 7.15 here at our Paramount location. We have children's ministry. Full-scale children's ministry is back. Uh, so you can check in your kids to learn about Jesus, even teenagers to learn about Jesus. And the adults will worship and pray uh, and be encouraged in the sanctuary. We also have our deaf discipleship on Thursday nights. Everybody go like this. Um, the deaf Brothers and sisters, they meet in the fellowship hall on Thursday nights. You're welcome uh, to come uh, for that. Also, don't forget tonight, 430, uh, we're having a special uh, service dealing with overcoming grief and trauma. If you know anybody who's been hurt uh, either by whatever, whatever trauma they may experience, text them, invite them to our Carson campus uh, tonight so that they could... Uh, help with their healing. And then lastly, we are taking signups for our discipleship groups in the month of June. In the month of June, we are launching an eight-week discipleship group campaign where we're going to have prayerfully 40 groups throughout the week, small groups. Some are going to be on Zoom. Some are going to be in person. Some are going to be just for ladies. Some are going to be just for men. Some are going to be co-ed. Um, but we want the whole church to enter into a discipleship group. It's only for eight weeks. Someone say eight weeks. You're not signing your life away. It's just for eight weeks. You're going to get into a smaller group, and you're going to discuss the weekend sermon. You're going to pray about it. You're going to talk about it. And this group is going to help you grow. It's going to help you go deeper in your walk with the Lord. So today, after service on the patio, there are sign-ups. It tells you the different days uh, that we have them. Get, find one that fits your schedule and sign up. They start in June. We're going to have signups all the month of May. So we really want, we're, we're praying to see 200 people in a discipleship group for eight weeks. Someone give the Lord a hand praise for that. We want you involved. We want you connected. We want you to move beyond the Sunday experience into a deeper life with the church. There are wonderful people part of Chapel Change. There are, hello somebody, there are wonderful people that you need to get to know. There's people that you need to get to know. There's people that will uh, help you and pray for you and help you grow. Wonderful people, part of Chapel of Change, you'll get to know. Someone shout amen to that. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the offering. We're going to collect the offering, and then I'll come back and dismiss with the blessing. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for the ability to give. We worship you through this offering. Receive this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord through our offering today. Freedom, freedom. 
circles No more chains, no more bondage I am free No more shackles, no more chains No more shackles, no more chains No more bondage, I am free Yes, come on Traveler Change No more shackles, no more chains No more shackles, no more chains No more bondage, I am free Yes, you gotta declare it No more shackles, no more shackles no more chains, no more bondage. I am free. Yes. Come on and dance the dance of David. Shout it out right here. Hallelujah. 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 Freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. I want to call some of our pastors and leaders to the altar. After we dismiss, if you need extra prayer or need somebody to talk to, you're welcome to come to the altar and someone will pray with you. But it's our tradition to close out with a blessing. In the name of the Father who loves you with an endless love. In the name of the Son who died that you could live. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live for God. May you go this week with the favor and protection of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hope to see you Thursday night. Go in peace.